Well, a little while ago, it was actually some time ago, I went for a walk in my neighborhood. And this wasn't, um, and it's not an uncommon sight. Time to time, you'll see things growing in the cracks of sidewalks. But I saw something that came out of the sidewalk that I had never seen at this level before. It kind of looked like this. And as I approached it, I thought for sure this was like a bouquet of flowers that somebody dropped. So I reached down and I tugged on it a little bit because I'm, like, I'm thinking free flowers for my wife, count me in. But I reached down and I pulled on it just a little bit and it was not letting go. It was attached to that thing. Now, what I thought was that was just something that somebody had dropped really was a model of something that in a weird way became a little transforming for me. It was, this plant would have been just another plant in a garden. You wouldn't have even noticed it. But the fact that it had thrived in an environment that it wasn't meant for, you couldn't not pay attention to it. The resilience, if you will, that it showed to grow in this environment, to hang on to that which was giving its life, moved me. And I keep remembering that. I didn't have the heart to pull it out because I'm like, I want the next person to enjoy this as well. But the ability for this plant, this flower, to thrive in a spot didn't come from a, a source of its will. It didn't come from the source of its plan. It simply was inevitable because of the life-giving nature that was feeding it, and it just kept finding a way to break through toward the sun. Here's my point. It found a source that was different than its expected or its known environment, and it blossomed. Because it is so easy to just reflect the environment around us as opposed to being the result of that which is feeding us. Let me turn to some scripture for a little bit. So God was speaking to Jeremiah. The prophets in the Old Testament were the mouthpieces of God. And God was communicating to the people of Israel a lot of things. But in what we call Jeremiah 17, in kind of the middle of his prophecy, he's engaging with the people of Israel and he's sharing with them, this is what those who are disconnected from God look like and here are those who are connected to God looks like. And he kind of uses the same analogy as the plant breaking through in an environment. Jeremiah 17 verses five through six says this. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. It leaves, its leaves are always green. It has no worries in the year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. 
Now, the implication of these verses is that both of these bushes, both of these things are in the same place, but have different results. One is like a bush in the wastelands. It's dependence when it says, uh, don't have your dependence on man. Don't have your dependence on others. But it's also saying, don't just have your dependence on yourself. It is existing. That can be true. It has some life. There's reference to a bush. It's alive, but it looks just like the environment. It resembles the effect of the drought. They dwell in isolation or with other parched things and just start to reflect the problems around them. And then what says one is like a tree whose roots have found an underground source of water. He's not implying that this tree is near water and these wastelands are not. He's saying they're all in the same place. They're all experiencing heat. They're all experiencing drought. But the end result of that which we are connected to and that which is giving us life determines an entirely different outcome. The environment resembles drought, but they do not. And the word that kept coming to mind as I started thinking through this is the word resilient. Resilience. Resilience is seen and shown in times of difficult situations. It's often a marathon runner is referred to as someone who's being resilient, that even though they get tired, they can continue and they press on. And resilience comes from being connected to that which isn't always seen, but it always nourishes. As you know, if you've been engaging with us for the past few weeks, we've been talking about this idea of delighting in the Trinity. The role of the father giving his son who gives his spirit. It's a relationship of give, give, and then the spirit gives to us. So delighting in this is also meaning that we're on the receiving end of this. So if it is true in our lives that we are the receiving end of God giving and Christ giving and the spirit giving and the spirit filling, what should the end result be? Once again, it's not simply an act of human will, but an inevitable realization of life source within us. Because life finds a way through the cracks, feeds resilience, and something shows up, even though the environment does not determine it. So if this is true, what should it look like? It looks like a flower that breaks through the cracks. It looks like a tree in the midst of drought, finding leaves, and it doesn't make sense. Because a resilient life, my friends, it is possible, and it's actually viable in these moments. Now, to simply talk about it could be aspirational. Like, yeah, I want to be resilient. I want to be that one who keeps going. I want to be that tree. But it's more than just hoping. And how was this transferable to us, we may ask? Well, hear me talk about resilient people. And I'm going to pull out for a little bit what I've seen and then try to get real specific at the end. Here's a couple things that I see around resilience and resilient people. First thing is that resilient people live inspired by a big picture view of life. 
And the second thing that I have seen in my lifetime is that resilient people run alongside other resilient people because resilience inspires. And you can strive to be resilient all you want, but if what you're hearing is the opposite and what you're being filled with is the opposite, resilience is drained. Let me pull back to the big picture of life. What happens so often, and I can do this, many people do this, I think everybody does this in some sort of way, is that we put things, situations, people in boxes. And the big picture view of life is one who eliminates the boxes. It asks, what are my options? It refuses to believe that there's not another way. But one of the things that we do is we continue to put things in boxes or presuppositions around people and because it makes sense and we want to categorize different things. I mean, there are an unlimited amount of boxes we put people in, things in. It could be like, which news network do they watch? What kind of church does one attend or not attend? Where do people live? What are their interests and hobbies, affiliations, their backgrounds, their ethnicities, their age, whatever it is, we have this and we go, okay, then they're in this kind of box. But have you ever come across somebody who you had in one kind of box, but then something happened and wait, that box no longer fits. It was kind of mind blowing for me because it actually made my life easier for a season just to go with this person or that person. I'm this person. There was a guy that I was coaching football with and I coached football for a long time. And this guy, he was a man who I can't think of an area we agreed upon. We didn't agree upon faith, politics, which words we were going to use to motivate players, which words we would use when things weren't going well. Yet, when I was facing a crisis in my life, this man who we disagreed on so many things and there wasn't anything about him that I aspired to be except maybe a brilliant football coach. He was the first and the only man to look at me right in the eye and say, Dale, how are you really doing? It shook me because I'm like, this guy's in a box. But then being true to his nature, he said, let me know if you need some help and I'll find someone who actually likes you and I'll ask them to help you. So he found his way out, it has a twinkle in his eye, but that moment was like, wait, there aren't limits. That even when there's a category, this man broke out. I began to realize that there are difference when, when you find common ground, that boxes don't exist and things outside of you are desperately needed. We put things in boxes according to life stages. I remember being at a conference, and when I was in my 20s, I was a youth pastor at the time, and I definitely had, well, there was the teenagers that I work with there in one box, and anyone who was older than I was, well, they're definitely in another box. So I was in my 20s, and I was thinking, this is the prime target of my entire life. And I remember I was at a conference and the speaker was up there rallying people, the things they do. And this guy was challenging people. And he first said, hey, who in the crowd was in their 20s? And we all like cheered, thinking like we were about to get puffed up. He said, none of you know anything. You have to be at least 30 before you know something. And then everybody in their 30s is like, woo! 
and they're all cheering, and I'm like, what the heck? Like, those guys are a bunch of old people, you know? I'm in my 20s. And then when I hit 30, I'm like, dude, that guy was totally right. Like, they know nothing, right? We jump from thing to thing, and we have boxes. But a big picture of life pulls us out of how we see things, and you start to go, how does all of us see things? Because we ask questions. And if we look at life as a big picture, we realize there are more questions being asked than what we might be asking. And there might be more options than what we are seeing. Some of the questions I hear often from people of different boxes, potentially. They're asking things like, who are my friends? Where do I fit with them? Who am I? How do I want to be loved? How do I love? How will I make my mark? Who are the people that I can walk through life with? How do I handle these bumps and bruises of life that I feel like I should be able to handle, but I'm not sure how to? What would it take to do what I really wanted to do? Man, why is life moving so fast? Will I be actually able to retire one day? Why do I feel ignored by a large part of the younger generation? Is there still time to do the things I've always dreamed about? Does anyone know how important I used to be? And what can I do to still contribute? Here's my point. Many of us only think about the questions we are asking. And we surround ourselves with other people who are asking the same questions or maybe the ones we already asked because we like to be in a position where we can give them advice. But resilience, the ability to keep going, pulls back, embraces the, the, more than the questions you're asking, but pursues others and says, what are the questions you're asking? What are the things you're thinking about? The enemy of a resilient life is just to focus on your thoughts or thoughts of others that are just the same as yours. It's so easy to look at other ages or stages and say, you have no idea. That's an enemy of a resilient life. Or if you've already journeyed through some things and you're like, well, I turned out okay. It's up to you to figure it out. You know, if you don't, that's on you. That's an enemy of a resilient life. The events of this year do not change the value of these questions people ask. In fact, these questions might pull us out of the box we have fallen into. You know, living with a smaller view of life, focusing only on the current question, is a direct pathway to resilience drain. Because people who seem to have resilience see things bigger than the current situation they're currently in. Let me show you some things from scripture. Some uh, resilience where it was shown, how it was seen. And what I identify in some of these, it's the question that you expect them to have at this stage, they're asking other questions. They're engaged in other things. First one comes from this. 
There was a point in the journey of the Israelites where they're on the edge of going into the promised land. This is talked about in Numbers 13, and you may be familiar with this, where there's enemies in the land. They, so they send like 12 spies into this land to say, is it possible to overtake this? They all come back, 10 of them go, and it is not an option. But two were different. They came back and gave this account. They said this in Numbers 13. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. It means it's just prosperous. Here is its fruit. They gave some to him and said, this is the examples. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. Then Caleb, who was one of the spies, silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Without any context, you're picturing one guy of, of Caleb. Maybe he's like gladiator. Maybe he's like this warrior. Maybe he's like, man, I got it all going on. Caleb was 85 years old. Caleb had journeyed through 40 years in the wilderness. Caleb had experienced a lot of difficult times. Caleb at 85 should be thinking about, how can I take it easy? But he crossed generational thoughts and he says, how can I leave my mark? His resilience came from a place that God's not done yet. I have seen him come through here, 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 and here. We can do this. We also see in scripture this idea of faith modeled by older to younger. In 2 Timothy 1.5, as Paul's finishing his final letter to Timothy, his final letter, and he just identifies this thing that has happened in Timothy's life, just a simple thing. In 1 Timothy 1.5, he says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice as well, and I'm persuaded now lives in you and also. He's identifying that this resilience is possible, Timothy, because I'm about to hand the leadership off to you, but it began because somebody had passed it down to you. It began because the resilience and the commitment of life was given to you. So this seems intuitive, older to younger, experienced to inexperienced, mentor to mentoree, being inspired by older people. But then Jesus throws a wrench in this and flips it all upside down. It's not always what you think it is. Let things out of their box. It's not about modification of your heart, but transformation of your heart. There's a scene in Mark chapter 9 where the, these disciples are journeying with Jesus and they're arguing and bickering because they're bickering about who's the greatest person of all, right? It's a very in the moment, in their box, who's most important right now? Jesus invites them into this conversation and says this. Mark chapter 9, verses 33 through 37. They came to Capernaum when he, and when he was in the house, he asked them, hey, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest, a very in-the-moment conversation. So sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. Then he took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me alone, but the one who sent me. 
there's this amazing connection where Jesus goes, you guys are thinking about this box. Let me blow that up and go, actually, you need to be more like this. And if you accept the thing that can do nothing for you, you're actually receiving me. You're actually receiving my father. You're actually delighting in the Trinity when you get out of that which you think to something bigger. And then there's a source of life. See, this big picture view of life feeds us. So I would love just to do a little assessment with you right now. Maybe ask yourself some of these things. What am I receiving from the Trinity that is pouring into me? Another way is like, what's God doing in me? To stop, to pause, to stop the dialogue, to stop the voice, to stop all the things that are telling you what's going bad, but to articulate, is there something breaking through the concrete <laughs> at this moment? Another question is I would encourage you to look to somebody else who might be in a different spot or a different box that you have them in than you, is to say, what can I actually learn from you? No matter what box do I have you in, it's being teachable. Another question I would ask you to ask yourself is, what can I learn from this circumstance or period of time that I've put in a box? Meaning all of this is bad or all of this is hard. And it can be even the opposite. When we hit different seasons, like all of this is good. That's boxing. That's limiting. That's narrow framing. Versus a life of resilience that says, what are the things I can still glean from this? What are my options? What are some signs of growth? And how can I continue to learn from those who are asking questions that I already went through and to seek those who are asking the next set of questions? Seeing beyond ourselves. I think ultimately we need to go, where am I now? In the most simplest places. And what's the next step I can take? Because we have to see things differently than what's presented to us. One of my pet peeves is when somebody gives me only two options. They say, you're either this or you're this. Right? I, I remember um, years ago when we were, our country was going through certain things and I was the key person at my church and they would call and they'd, they would say, is this church a loving and accepting church or you are, are you a bigoted church? And I'm like, wait, those are my only two options? Like, like I think we're loving, but loving was, had their definition to it. And if you weren't this, you were this. And I'm like, no, no, no. More options. More truth. Thomas Merton, who's also known as Father Lewis, wrote this. If you want to identify me, ask me not where I live or what I like to eat or how I comb my hair, but ask me what I think I am living for in detail and ask me what I think is keeping me from, from living fully the thing I want to live for. Between these two answers, you can determine the identity of any person. The better answer he has, the more of a person he is. This is blowing up boxes. This is pushing past the current pressures. This is pushing past the current options and saying, what else is there? How can I find more life? 
The point is this, difficult situations, hard times in your life, which we all have and we all go through, and it's something we have shared this year, they pull you from big picture to the problem. Now, there is an inevitability of that, but how long you stay staring at that problem alone is the difference of whether you're going to find resilience to keep pressing forward or resilience sucked from you as you just focus on the problem. This answer is not to pretend that difficulty isn't there. Resilience is not suppression. Resilience is not just pretending and keeping a positive attitude. Resilience says, I identify the problem, I identify the pain, and yet I'm still going to step forward because the Trinity is giving me life. Let me give you an example. Like I shared a little bit before, I coached high school football for like 25, 26 years. I accidentally got into it. And you may ask, how do you accidentally get into it? That's a whole nother story. But I was a youth pastor, wanted to be on campus. The guy kicked me off of campus, the dean of the school. And he's like, you can't be here. And so the next day, I went back to the principal. And I argued to defend my case. And the principal's like, you can't be on our campus unless you volunteer. What do you do? And I'm like, well, I played football. I can probably coach football. You know, I can do that. And so he goes, oh, let me introduce you to our football coach. He walks me down the hallway. And the very guy who kicked me off the campus the day before was the football coach. And he's like, hey, how are you? And I'm like, oh, great. So anyways, I volunteered to coach football, did it for 26 years. That was a big all story to get that set up. Here we go. So I spent a lot of times doing that. Now, I've coached a lot of players who had envisioned themselves as being the star, especially like the freshmen. Like they envisioned themselves that before the first day of practice, man, I'm going to be this great star. People are going to praise me and cheer me on because no one dreams of being the worst kid on the team. It's not like, man, I just want to be the worst. No, they dream. There's nothing in the middle. No one dreams of even being like, man, I want to be that faithful middle guy. If you have a dream, you're dreaming of stardom and success and all this stuff, which is great. Right? That, that's fine. They want to score the winning touchdown. But some of them were great and some of them weren't. But the point is this. These moments of dreaming, wishing don't matter when you're exhausted. Your dream is not enough. Your, your desire is not enough. What you think should, it should be like is not enough because exhaustion attacks dreams. So one of the things I tried to do as a coach was I tried everything I could to simulate what it felt like in the fourth quarter. Because in the fourth quarter of games, which is the final section, in the last few minutes, you're exhausted. And what I had learned over many years was that it was incredibly hard to practice for those moments. But what I knew to be true is that when you were exhausted, it attacked all of your basic instincts. It, it attacked everything that you were trained to do. So we would start every season. And my players hated this. And, my co and the coaches hated this. But we would start with every season talking about the basic, very basic thing of football is your left foot and your right foot. It's the left, right, left, right, I would call it. 
Because your foot, your feet determine everything. Your feet determine your balance. Your feet determine your angle. Your feet determine whether you're going to go this way or that way. Every step matters. So I would line up my 80 players shoulder to shoulder on the football field, and I made them walk for 100 yards, and they had to say out loud, left, right, left, right. And the coaches would laugh at the kids, you know, like whatever. I'm like, no coaches, we're all doing it too. The very basic thing, left, right, left, right. That didn't make them great football players. But what it did was it impacted them the left, right, left, right. So sometimes in the middle of practice, I, I would make them run and train and be exhausted, get them as tired as I could. And then I said, let's practice. And this is what it's going to feel like at the end of the games. But even that wasn't the same. The only thing I could really do was that actually in the game, actually in those moments when they were exhausted and they were tired and we needed to do something right and we needed to come through, I would call timeout and I would coach in that moment and say, guys, this is exactly what it feels like when you're exhausted. And what I want you to think about right now is left, right, left, right. Don't jump to the end of the play. Don't jump to the end of the game. But just remember, every step matters during times of exhaustion. Linemen, it's left, right. Remember, left, right, left, right. They knew the plays. There was nothing else of, of magic I could tell them. But what was important was identifying with them, this is exactly what it feels like. And resilience to get where you want to get sometimes is those very basic steps of left, right, left, right. So my point right now, obviously, 2020, as we're almost there, we're almost done. This was not a year you could plan for, that you could train for. But what this season demanded and those who seem to be moving forward are those who are willing to go left, right, left, right, to get through, to do well, to be resilient. If I can say, like I did with my team, this is exactly what it feels like. This is not a drill. And you're like, man, I wish you would have told me that in March. Well, I wish I would have realized it in March, okay? But what I'm saying is this is not a drill. And the beautiful thing about Jesus, he's like, man, let me join you on the left, right, left, right. Have your roots sunk deeper into the sources of life. If I can offer you something from my personal experience that has been helpful for me, probably more the past four or five months as I stopped about midway through, I'm like, this is not headed where I need it to head for me personally. I started to connect some things to previous experiences. Now, I, I didn't have any context of life in a pandemic, so that wasn't helpful. But what I found incredibly helpful, at least in helping me go left, right, left, right, left, right each day, is to identify those things in my past that had pulled me away from the big picture of life. Those things that were painful, those things that were difficult. And I started asking myself, what was helpful then? that I could start to apply now? What did I learn then that I want to learn now? 
what was true then, what was not true. And as I would come across some people and I'd ask them to do the same, they're like, well, I haven't been through anything like this. And so I said, okay, let's bigger picture of life and let me share you some stories of what I've experienced. Is that helpful? Not to do the exact same thing, but to simply go, what have I learned then that I can apply now to keep the left, right, left, right? Because the most transforming thing in my life came from when I was my lowest. That I would go through all those difficult times all over again for the end result. And the thing that we have when the, when the Trinity is feeding us and we keep moving with him, it's almost like a rhythm. It's like there's a rhythm happening in heaven that God is inviting you to join in on. And it's the rhythm of giving in life because God will continue to make good out of it. And my encouragement for you is to don't give up. And not even just don't give up, intentionally begin that life of resilience that says, I'm not going to reflect the things around me, but I'm going to let that which gives life to me move me. And it really can come down to just the next right thing. The left, right, left, right. I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know what I can do today. I don't know what next month holds, but I know what I can do this week. My final thought comes from a place of pretty much vulnerability and transparency about my own things, but if it's helpful to somebody, I want it to be helpful. Because of um, a physical condition that God is allowing me to have, at least during a season of my life, I pray for healing all the time, but God's like, ah, not yet. So there we got that going for us. But because of this condition that I have, there are some days my legs are just like tired. And then there's some days where my legs are like, we're done. You know, like when your arm falls asleep, you know, that buzzing feeling or whatever. There are moments where my legs are both asleep like that and they're just buzzing. And if I don't pay attention, I don't really walk. So there's times, there's a, every once in a while, there, I have some of these days where it's like, if I, have, if I usually try to head to bed by 10, it might be like 8.15 and my legs are buzzing and my legs are like kind of on fire and I'm like, I'm just going to call it. Now, the issue that I have is that I have a two-story townhome and my bedroom is upstairs. Now, I could say, oh, that couch looks pretty good right now. But I know the better place of rest is going to be up those stairs. So I get to that flight of stairs and I can't trust that my legs are going to work like that you think they should. I can't even trust they were going to work like they did an hour ago. So the only way that I get up those stairs at this moment in my life is I literally say out loud, left, right, left, right. It is not a wonderful place to be when you're by yourself in your home having to tell your feet what to do. Because left to themselves in this moment, they're not going to do what I want them to do. But when I tell them out loud, left, right, left, right. And there's times my family looks out at their window like, you're right, Dad? Yeah, I'm good. Just going up the stairs. I get to the top of the stairs and I'm like, thank you, Lord, for another successful trip upstairs. 
And that's what resilience looks like sometimes. So, don't be ashamed that sometimes you just have to get back to the very basics and go, today I just need to remind myself of that which is true. I just need to connect myself. Maybe I need to ask for help. Because resilience, a resilient life is a life that God is calling us into. So do it with others. Do it with yourself. Don't waste time think, hoping and just wishing it was different. But just embrace the moment. Okay, this is just what it is right now. So what's the next steps I need to take? Because blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots to the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. That's what God's desire is for you. As we conclude this time together, I'm going to invite the worship team back up to, to join me. You may be in a situation like, hey, what do I do? What is my left, right, left, right? Well, that's the thing. It's not the same left, right, left, right for everybody. But we as a church want to help and connect. And even in really tangible ways, right after service, we'll have prayer time in our Zoom rooms. And you might just be like, man, my first step is at least praying with somebody, talking with somebody. That God has called you into a resilient life. Resistance actually feeds resilience. Difficulty can actually make you stronger. Pressure can actually give you life when you're delighting in the Trinity and let God do what he wants to do. So for some, it might be prayer. For some, it might be a conversation. At minimum, it's opening your heart even in these next few minutes to worship, to let God in, to let your roots go deep and to keep moving forward. Father, I thank you and praise you. You are a God that gives. You are a God that gives willingly and selflessly. Father, I pray for the people this morning of our church, of whoever's listening today, that we would strive to be resilient, but not just out of our own will and strength, but connected to you. Source of life from you. God, show us how. Show us what our left, right, left, right looks like. Help us, God. We ask for you a blessing. In your name, amen.